Hey, Boneheads. This is Joe. This week, we didn't do a very good job of introducing our guests. I'm recording this a little bit later, simply because Steve Neal and the three of us just got in a conversation and just went before we could do a proper introduction. If you don't know who Steve Neal is, that's okay, but I know you know his work. He's a special effects makeup artist, filmmaker, puppeteer, model maker, visual effects, and artist, and all around just wonderful dude, and a fantastic storyteller. He's going to tell... A really good Oliver Reed story and a few others. He's worked on Fright Night, The Daytime Ended, Ghostbusters, Laser Blast, so many Return of Swamp Thing. Settle in, check this out. You're going to love the stories. Welcome, Steve Neal to Bonehead Weekly. You can hear my kids screaming in the back. Bonehead Weekly, it's our pleasure to have visual effects artist, creator, and just absolute mensch. Actually, we have only talked for a few minutes, so I'm going to hold off on calling you a mensch so far. But <laughs> we've got Steve Neal. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. And I, everybody says thank you. And I've still never, after doing all this, I listen to professional folks a lot and I always think there's got to be something better than thank you for coming and thank you. But you know what I mean? Oh, James is finally logging on. <laughs> so wh while James is logging on, we pride ourselves. Hi, James. It is, yeah, don't tell him to go to hell. And we pride ourselves in making or at least asking questions that at least one or two that someone else hasn't asked. I was going through listening because you do your own kind of podcasting. You've done your own shows. You do a lot of interviews. So I was trying to find something that a lot of people haven't just beat the hell out of. And this is as close as I come. So please forgive me. But I have a copy of this little movie here. Hmm. I'm glad you said it because I was going to bring it up. <laughs> See this? That's an act. You know what this is, Steve? This is it okay? okay? Oh, yeah. Steve? oh, absolutely. So yeah, it's, it, it's a fine memory because uh, I love I just, Toby. Yeah. Okay. So that's where I'm going with this. So spontaneous combustion as a movie that i actually enjoy uh this is i don't think i don't think it actually came out on dvd if it did i'm not for sure i still have my vhs copy when we had mick garris on the show if you're familiar with mick garris the director oh, yeah. writer, I, I always because i never got to meet i was supposed to meet toby a decade ago he canceled on something it was right as i was starting to do as we was explaining we do this convention work where we moderate and interview people and he he pulled out and he had a tendency to do that from time to time. He'd say, he'd do yeah, something. sure. And he'd pull out of it. And I just want your best Toby Hooper story, maybe from spontaneous combustion, whatever you'd like. If you don't mind talking about the movie and talking about Toby, I'd really appreciate it. No, it's great. Uh, Steve Brooks. I got a phone call from Steve Brooks one day. Yeah. He was yeah. the effects uh, supervisor on it. He's still in the business. He's still working like I am. And uh, wanted me to come down, and I already knew Toby, but not well. He wanted me to come down and interview uh, for doing spontaneous combustion, and I got the job that day. And I, you know, went right home and very excited to to work with Toby because originally I was supposed to work with him on a, a movie called The Dark. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was uh, a Dick Clark production, and I'll never forget, you know, going there for that job and getting it, and then I get called into a meeting with Dick Clark who was a really nice human being. Uh, and I met Toby, you know, he came in, he was going to direct it, but then they switched directors and went to Bud Cardos. Bud Cardos ironically directed my film, uh, The Day Time Ended. I just hate that title. It wasn't uh -huh. mine. Though. Anyway. Uh, and you so wrote I got that, note, right? Wrote it and produced it and, right. uh, you know, worked on the visual effects and everything. But um uh, you know, I only got to spend a little bit of time with Toby, you know, like, well, here's Toby Hooper, you know, he's just, he's, he's kind of an iconic uh, filmmaker, better than Charlie Band. Sorry, Charlie. Well, not better, but, you know, just another one of those guys, but right. a little bit higher cut in terms of, of pictures. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I didn't, after he, after he wasn't directing the film, I, I didn't run into him again until Spontaneous Combustion. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had my first meetings with them. We hit it off just great. Um, and of course, I went home to make a life mask of Brad Dourif. When that video of us making the life mask with my um, uh, late wife is actually on YouTube. Oh, really? Yeah. And if you go to my channel, uh, it's under one of my playlists called Steve Neal's Hollywood. Okay. And it's in there. 
and my friend Stan shot that. Um, and he's the one who wrote the book recently about spontaneous combustion. So mm -hmm. uh, working on the film was hard because it was a low budget film with a very ambitious, large budget look. And Toby, he really liked to do the best he could possibly do with the money he had. And he, they built some really elaborate sets, the big bomb and all that stuff. But mm -hmm. also I had to do a lot of makeup effects on Brad. As you know, I have the, his burning arm, the very stages yeah. of his burns. Um, I work closely uh, with his son, too, uh, uh, Tony Hooper, who mm -hmm. is a really talented filmmaker, but he's kind of a recluse and he, he still hasn't finished his Chainsaw American, uh, All American Massacre film. Yeah. Um, but uh, Tony was around a lot to help and fantastic we became you know pretty much lifelong friends um so the film was a great experience you know i mean it was a lot of really late nights and toby just he just just kept drinking the dr pepper and smoking the cigars until three four in the morning the dawn to be coming up we didn't know how long we would work it would just be like well we're shooting tonight mostly it was in the evening because toby was a night owl uh, we all were um during that period and, you know, we all had long hair and dark circles under our eyes and, uh, you know, snuck off in the background between breaks to uh, get high and that kind of stuff. And it just <laughs> everybody was doing it. And, you know, uh, but we had a really great time because it was very creative. We were all a bunch of crazy artists, you know, really having fun with another creative, art, creative artist, crazy artist, Toby. Yeah. So and he basically gave me, you know, carte blanche to do what I wanted to do up to a point. The first sculpture i did as a rough of brad duraf's makeup was very demonic looking after he was burned so he burned in a way that he looked yeah. very devilish and it actually disturbed toby of all people he's like oh god that's too disturbing oh god no 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 i just want a classic burn you know like the skull showing and stuff and that's why at the end of the film you see half the face burned off and the skull showing and all that um so uh, you know hey it's his film whatever he wants he gets i did it it, it was a really a lot of fun and we became friends after that we stayed in touch and i think really one of the best stories is one night i get a phone call and uh, it's been a while since the film and it's toby he said hey steve you want to come over to the house and watch twin peaks with me and i said uh, yeah well yeah sure because he had this big house in beverly hills and uh he said I'll, I'll i'll bring the i'll have the donuts there and you know bring something nice and i said okay and i went over there expecting to be a whole bunch of people and it was just me and his son yeah and a couple of times timothy leary came in because they were friends <laughs> um, hold on hold on hold on hold on i gotta stop you so you're in a house with toby hooper and timothy right. leary yeah I, I know. Yeah. I just wanted to, our audience the director of the texas chainsaw massacre and poltergeist and timothy leary as that's correct yeah okay. now i was a huge fan of tim's and i used to right. go to all his lectures and stuff read all his books and uh you know he called himself a test pilot i think a lot of us were test pilots during those days <laughs> and uh <laughs> test pilots of the mind but you know when toby found out i was a big fan of his you know he um he uh, had him come to the set you know on, on spontaneous a mm -hmm. few times and i just hung out with him and got to know him and that was a lot of fun but yeah, when we were watching Twin Peaks, he'd poke in and he'd wave like that, you know? So those, those were amazing times. And it just was so amazing to watch Twin Peaks, uh, which was a great show, I thought. And, uh, and he had a big pull-down screen and one of the early projectors. And, you know, that was the cat's meow back in those days to have something like that, you know, because yeah. we all had projection TVs, and uh, which we thought were so good. <laughs> <laughs> they were awful you know <laughs> 720 by 486 but whatever we had fun it was better than the alternative 19 inch television oh yeah yeah, yeah. the crt yeah. you betcha yeah it was better than yeah a friend of ours a production designer mick strata i don't know if you know him talks about the back of the trailer what was it chad sick or james the six or eight foot back of the trailer yeah the the, 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 the the space that would be there. So the, the, the measurements that would be slightly off for, uh, creative for the room storage for the drugs. Have you ever heard of this before? 
No, I haven't actually. I, I suppose there were some things kept from me, but not much. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's his story he tells us. So, yeah, I was just we're we're fascinated. Well, I'm fascinated by Toby, and, and I think it makes it worse that I've been able to interview so many people, but I never got to meet him. And I'm yeah. curious. Do you think it's just because he wasn't Spielberg? Is it was the lack of being able to communicate, or was it what 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 kept him from going to that next stage? Well, you know, Toby to me, he, he was a really charming guy. He was yeah. a real character, but he was very charming. He had a real charisma about him, and people tended to either like him or really not like him at all. You know, there was really no in between. I had no problem with him. We we were friends. He got along well. He, he loved filmmaking. He was so passionate about it. And I got to say that, you know, later on in the years, um, you know, I, I was seeing him when I'd go over to see Tony and he'd come in all the time. We'd talk and everything. But I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we were all well away from doing any of the crazy stuff we did in the 80s and 90s, you know, and 70s, uh, meaning that we were, all, we were all pretty clean except for the occasional shot of tequila, you know. Right. You tend to, when you hit your late 40s and 50s, say, I don't want to do that stuff anymore, you know. And, and he was, uh, he was great. I mean, it just, it really floored me when I found out he passed away and um, and the details, which never have been revealed to the public. Nothing bad, but I'm, I'm not at liberty to. Oh, I'm sorry about yeah. what I was told, you know, but it was just really sad that uh, he passed like he did. And I don't know that next level thing. There's a lot of filmmakers that never made it to that next level. But as far as I'm concerned, the work that they did as artists, as filmmakers. Yeah, I agree. That that what level? I mean, it, it, they did great work. Yeah. I, you know, I, I know what you mean. There's like this whole level where. Uh, some film directors, you know, go on to be a, another Spielberg, really, really you know, notable and getting all the big budget films and stuff. But quite honestly, I'm not impressed by those big budget films. I'm impressed with the Peter Weirs and the, you know, Toby Hoopers and um, there's others. There's just some really great filmmakers out there and they they don't get those huge budget. I mean, Peter Weir did obviously with Master and Commander, yeah. you know, that that was an incredible freaking movie, but most of his films up to that point were low budget, The Last Wave, yeah. Picnic Hanging Rock, uh, and several others that uh, those films are truly great. And so a lot of the greatest films I've ever seen have come out of um, filmmakers like that with low budgets you know even even charlie bands a lot there's some really classic cool stuff there too you know yeah absolutely I mean, you know <laughs> and the one i get asked about most is laser blast of course so <laughs> right well, well i guess think of mystery science theater for that one they they kind of helped that push on that one too <laughs> i guess I guess, but it was—I um, mean, it was already a classic by that point. It was a cult yeah. classic by that point. It's just that that skyrocketed it to a whole nother level. Yeah, it did. It did. And and most of the people that really loved the film had no idea I was even involved in it. I guess they can't read their credits, but <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't know I was the alien at the beginning of the show. So right. Yeah, there's a great there's that there's that great picture of you on IMDb wearing the leather coat and the blue blue jeans and the and the big yeah. that says "May the force be with you." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, those were the days, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and you know, it's we'll lead into this, but it's kind of the same question I was asking about Toby. I, th I, I feel a lot of Toby's. I feel people forget about Texas Chainsaw, and they think a lot about the poltergeist crap that we've heard about now for forty years. Right, right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I really, truly think it just unfortunately no matter how many times people come out and say no spielberg was there every day he had him breathing down his neck every day but toby hooper was directing them. you know i feel like they just overshadows and people forget this is the man that gave us the best slasher film ever made right yet yet they'll they'll they they don't say that spielberg was there every day on the twilight zone where was he with that everyday presence then when there were directors directing his films so yep. Yep. you know I, so i have big question marks go off about that because that was just a, a terrible scene and john landis is another person i've known for a number of years i 
In fact, I recently had lunch with him and a few other people. Um, and uh, John's great. I mean, he's, I don't know. We didn't talk about work. We didn't talk about what are you doing now? You know, but yeah. I know that that whole thing with the Twilight Zone was kind of, he was thrown under the bus. Yeah. Yeah. By Spielberg's production. I, I'm not, you know, I don't know for sure Spielberg singled him out, but, you know, let's face it. Um, everybody was responsible for what happened and that that effects guy you know i worked with him before i forget his name paul something i can't, can't remember his last name but he he was on uh, i think he was on laser blast and i but i also remember him being another film i worked on and i remember being able to smell booze on his breath yeah and he was known for this and you know that charge he set off was way too big and he took away all the air from the, the lift of that helicopter and down it went. But, you know, John's career just kind of came to a halt after that. Yeah. After all the great things he did. And he's a really great. Yeah. I imagine him to be that irresponsible. So when they say that Toby, that Toby didn't direct the film and that Spielberg was there every day, I don't have any facts about that. I mean, maybe it's so, but I've never seen anything to verify it. Right. No, it's just, Toby, I, go ahead. Toby directed. I mean, he, he was there. I mean, when I worked with him on a spontaneous combustion, you know, he was like working with any great filmmaker. He was really dedicated. Mm -hmm. He worked himself to the bone. Yeah. Well, but the same question to kind of pivot a little bit. And I know Chad has a question about, we asked Jim Wynorski kind of the same question. Yeah. Like, yeah, why? I, I worked, I did some movies with Jim. I know yeah, we Jim. know. Yes, we well, know. you know. <laughs> yeah, what was that movie with the, uh, where I wore the gorilla suit and made the zombie, Angus Scrim? Yeah. Oh, I can't remember the name of that one. We were thinking of Island of, of something. Yeah, yeah, we were thinking Return of Swamp Thing. So it's funny. We'll tell you, uh, Chad will tell you a quick story just so you know that we've, and by the way, Jim was great with us, but it, yeah. we had yeah. to get, we had, it took about 20 minutes to get past the curmudgeon. Yeah. And um, so I'm going to tell you, and, and this is one of the reasons why I was excited to, to talk to you personally is Return to Swamp Thing. And from a, from a childhood, that was like one of my pivotal movies as a child. I watched it on loop on VHS over and over and over again. I actually wore out the VHS tape. It was like one of my favorite movies as a kid. And we were going to talk. We did. We had I had tracked Jim down because I really wanted to talk to him. And he's in the middle of telling his story. And what happens? My entire setup fails on me and I have to scramble to get back on and he's already passed the story and I missed the whole thing. So I'm hoping oh. as we, we, as we pivot into, hopefully you can tell me a great story about return to swamp thing. Return I'm hoping my thing. return of swamp thing. Thank you. Uh, that my equipment doesn't shut down on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'd done um, a couple of films for, for Jim and uh, you know, he, he he was doing the film and I had my small studio up in Granada Hills, which is where I worked on spontaneous combustion and a lot of the films. Uh, I did it in my in-home studio. Now I have a 2000 square foot studio all these years later. <laughs> I drive to work every day. I unlock it. But that I just walked from my bedroom into the, the back shop, which was pretty good size for what it was. Um, Jim had all these things he wanted. So we created them and, and Todd Masters, who's my dear friend and uh, who came to work for me uh, when we were in uh, Glendale as a very young man. And he, he just showed exceptional talent. His personality was, was wonderful too, to work with. Uh, Todd did everything on location and he did some, some of the effects as well, but he basically wrangled everything. Same thing with the blue monkey. Um, you know, Todd, I could fall back on Todd, continue on with another project and he'd go on location. Um, so the main the main stuff that I, of course, I didn't do the swamp thing himself. Todd did right. that. Mm -hmm. But what I did do was like all the other creatures and stuff, the big headed guy and uh, my favorite, the slug man. Oh, uh, yeah. The slug man's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and that, there's pictures of me. You probably see on the Internet where I'm wearing the whole costume. 
and, <laughs> and uh, in the shop and acting really silly in it and everything. But that, I was real proud of that one. That was really a lot of fun. That was entirely my design. Uh, so awesome. was the big headed guy, which was like a takeoff from the six finger and hour limits. Yep. Um, and I, other than that, I really don't have a lot of memory of it because I made all this stuff. They took it on location. They shot, they shot it. And that was it. And Todd, Todd would really be the one to talk to about that because uh, on the other picture, I worked with Jim rather closely. And oh. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, because uh, I was on set every day, and this was shot at Roger Corman's studio. Oh, the uh, old lumber yard? Yeah, my, my gut would hurt because Jim was funny. <laughs> and we just we just we just pissed ourselves laughing over the crazy stuff we were doing what was that what was the name of that movie can't one of you go online I, well I, I, hold on chad you're looking it up i'm, I'm, yeah, like, I'm trying to raven delacroix in it you know raven with her big tracks of land and big, huge tracks of land yeah exactly because <laughs> you know jim was always big on women with huge yeah. tracks of <laughs> land <laughs> would that, would that the, be the lost empire the Lost Empire. Thank you very much. That is yes, English for a minute. Right. I, so, Steve, about because I have a page full of notes yeah. here, and I've, everything on here, okay. I did not have the Lost Empire. Sorry. Okay, that's okay. That, that's a that's a classic. Now, come on. I, I, I apologize. <laughs> I would love to hear some Lost Empire stories. Yeah. yeah so go please ahead, do share. One. You know, Raven missed and really did kick me in the nuts when I was wearing the gorilla suit. Yeah. And I have done a lot of gorilla suit work. In Hollywood, I did big national commercials. Yep. I did shows like St. Elsewhere. Uh, Rick Baker was very helpful in getting my guerrilla career started. And I made a lot of money off that because I was a SAG actor. Um, and Jim's like, I got I got to put the gorilla in the movie. I just love the gorilla. You know, I said, okay. So I have that whole scene and, and Raven goes to kick me in the nuts, but she missed and really did kick me. When you see me going down, yeah, I was in pain. You know? <laughs> uh, that's that's one of the stories. But I, I think the best was really working on the set. Now, Angus Scrim obviously uh, didn't didn't uh, stand for having his body cast and having this mummified. And I did it very kind of almost comic book style, um, the mummy. And so when she uh, when she beats on the face and the face comes off, that's actually another actor. Uh, named Mike Hoover, and he was a friend of mine, and we cast his body, and I, I sculpted the entire thing from head to toe. But we also had that scene where the head gets cut off. Mm -hmm. You remember that scene? It's been so a while a since fake, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. the fake head, and I had the, the eyes and the face and everything moved in it, and, and basically cut a hole in, this, in the stage and the floor, and I could put my head up inside, and there's this great scene, it's like, come back here, I'll mortify you, you know? And I mean, Jim just started you know, busting out laughing, laughter, <laughs> the whole thing. And it was like that all the way through the movie, you know, because it was campy and silly. So I really enjoyed working with Jim, you know. I should have went on the swamps thing, but I had some other job I had to do next. And, and uh, so I kind of went from one to the next. I think that was shot in South Carolina. Am I correct? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would, so what's funny about Jim is I thought Chad was going to tell another story because he he turned me down several years before and chad got him to do it and he and chad are on the phone setting everything and chad's like oh man he's so sweet and then we started and he was really a curmudgeon five minutes later when he started and then about 10 minutes into it i think he just finally figured out that we weren't we we were fan we knew his career we weren't just right. idiots and then he finally opened up so that sound about right chad yeah yeah roughly yeah i know yeah but but you know he <laughs> He always made me laugh because he knew me and he knew I knew him and, you know, so. Yeah, no, absolutely. James, did you have the next question? You're ready for me to go. Uh, well, I, 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 and I, I, sorry, I got here a few minutes late, but um, I know that you, you have worked and, and been uh, interrelated with Star Trek. I'm a huge Star Trek nerd. And, and so my understanding is you did some of the design of the, the Klingon forehead pieces for Star Trek six. No, no. Okay. Oh, that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That. But, but, but I was, my involvement with Star Trek, the motion pictures where that look began. Yeah. yeah. And I was there the day that look was, was born. And when, when Gene came in and talked to Fred Phillips and talked about the fact that 
the TV show, they didn't have the time or the budget to make the Klingons yeah. look more alien. And what he wanted, and he, I remember right there, and he says, you know, I want this look kind of like it's a vertebrae going up the back of the head and down to the forehead. And so Fred uh, did a test makeup. We put a bald cap on a guy and built up Mortician's wax. Mm-hmm. And pretty much what, what you got was what we ended up having in the opening scene with the Klingons in the first motion picture. Uh, ironically, uh, they did have the money, but they didn't have the time. They kind of left all this stuff. When I came in, they'd already shot a lot of the film and they needed to have these Klingons done right away. So we couldn't make them out of foam rubber. They were actually the first time that polyurethane foam, a BJB TC 276 foam was used with the self-skinning foam to make the prosthetics. So they're wearing polyurethane famed prosthetics. So, which is really cool. And Rick Stratton, Mark Siegel um, did most of the work for that. We were kind of Fred's eyes and hands because he was getting uh, older at that point in time and, and he really needed our help a lot. Um, but on Star Trek VI, uh, Richard Snell, who I can't believe also passed, um, brought me in because he knew I loved Star Trek and he knew that, that Star Trek really started my career. Uh, brought me in to sculpt Klingon appliances. And uh, I mean, I sculpted so many that, that uh, when I see the film, it's like, I think I did that one. There's one that looks like they did in the first picture. And that one for sure I did. And, yeah. uh, but there's quite a few others. And unfortunately I wasn't able to, to be present on the set because they needed me back at, at the studio pumping out the prosthetics. Um, also, I was supposed to play one of the Klingons on the bridge uh, but I got bumped by someone's son who was a son of a producer, oh. which was really a shame because there were so many times that I, I was going to be on camera in Star Trek, even just as a walk by, but it just, it always went belly up. And the one time that I could have really done it uh, was during the rec room scene in the first picture. Mm-hmm. I had terrible flu that week and, and I, I couldn't even get out of bed. And so I missed out on that whole rec room scene, but, you know, you'd have to really look for me. You can see V Neil in there if you look. You know where to look. She's in there. She made it, but uh, it's remarkable she didn't get the flu from me because we were living together at the time. So, you <laughs> yeah. know, we were, you know, we were an item. So, um, but yeah, on on the Undiscovered Country, you know, basically I just did sculpting, and and Richard wouldn't let me do the ears. I said, "Come on, let me do the ears. You guys never get it right. No, no, you've had your chance." <laughs> <laughs> But the problem was, is like, if you're watching um, Stranger Worlds right now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know who's doing the prosthetics on that, but they know what the heck they're doing because his ears, for the first time since the motion picture in the original series, really look like the ears that that basically Wa Chang sculpted and 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 Chambers refined and really made nice. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in all the other pictures. And I was right there when it happened, uh, when the other makeup artist was brought in on the first motion picture. Uh, we have been shooting with my ears all along. He decided that he didn't like them. He didn't like my mold. So I'm going to redo them. I said, don't do that. He says, no, I'm going to redo them. And when I saw him, I said, I said, Charlie, those are too short and stubby. They don't look anything like the original ears from the, the TV show. And he said, I said, Steve, nobody's going to care. A pointed <laughs> ears And I said, I said, you're in the big leagues now. You, you're you're going to regret this because they will notice. And they did. So <laughs> I'm watching uh, uh, Strange New Worlds and I'm pointing out to Mary, I said, you know, saw me profile shots. I said, those are, those years are exactly correct. They have the right sweep, the right height, the right shape. And they're a little bit more realistic, but, you know, but they have the same feel as well as this acting, even though it doesn't look like Nimoy. He certainly conveys Spock quite well, better than anyone has who's tried. So, yeah, so, I've got to admit I'm enjoying it. But yeah, I just I was curious yeah. about the the uh, the the Klingon prosthetic. So, I, and this may be a random question, but how did you decide? You know, when you're making them, when you're churning these out, <laughs> how 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 do you decide what's going to be different about each one? You mentioned like one had you aim to have it be like the one in the motion picture. Did you just try different things or did yeah, you have a plan? Exactly it. 
That was exactly it. We had a, I had a bunch of life mask foreheads, and uh, I wasn't the only one sculpting them. There were a couple other people, but I was cranking them out pretty fast. And so uh, I think pretty much I did the bulk of them. And I just I just kept doing variations on the theme, different looks. We didn't have any drawings or anything, you know. Um, and we didn't want to uh, make them look like the one Scream Mad George did, which were very kabuki looking and very stylized. I mean, I love George and I love his work, but it just it was too stylized. We need to stick to the Star Trek look. And there was always that problem with Star Trek uh, because you go to another film and you get new people in there and 90% of them weren't Star Trek fans. They could care less about Star Trek. It was just another dumb science fiction program. And I'm really glad to see that uh, Paramount uh, and CBS have finally realized that, no, it's not just another dumb science fiction program. The people who love it really care about it. And if you don't cater to their, you know, what they want to see, yep. you're going to lose it. And uh, it, it's just amazing. They weren't even going to do um, Strange New Worlds. They didn't want anything to do with doing a Pike show. That was for Discovery, but the demand for the fans is so high. And now they're reaping the awards because, you know, they're all saying, oh, it's like having the old show back. And this is something they needed to have stuck I to love all it. along. I it, love it so much. You are so accurate. We actually talked about this on a previous episode. That's strange. It's it, We all are Trekkies or Trekkers to a certain extent, James being the most. But <laughs> it it's the one that feels the most. Yeah. It just feels it all the way down. Wait till you see season three of Picard. <laughs> really? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Because I'll be. Did you see that look? Did you see that look? I'm I'm pretty close friends with some very key people on that. So and uh, and you, if you watch the new trailer for it, did you? Actually, I don't think I've seen the new one yet. I don't don't think I've I've seen the new trailer. There's a trailer for Picard season three. I need to go out and look at it. Yeah, yeah. You'll you'll see somewhat what I'm talking about. Okay, I was not a fan of season two. No, we 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 have it dragged previously on. it dragged on for me. It did, it did, it did. One of our previous guests though was Tim Storms, who is the stunt double for Patrick Stewart, and and right. uh, he had some very interesting talking about doubling someone, and 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 he also doubled him for Logan and some other films and, and projects, and and so it's very interesting to think about to hear the behind the scenes stories on so much of that but uh yeah no i i uh i I heard about the the um returning of several people for season three and i was like okay you got me i'm I'm there i'll I'll have to see it so well they've also they've also the mistake they made was not hiring back michael okuda rick sternback and doug drexler huge 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 mistake and uh but doug's back working on it and i believe michael is too okay and i I talk to doug more often because we've been friends since like the 80s and um and so and a lot of other people who they they brought back uh who are really contributing to the look of it and the feel of it being more the star trek the roddenberry star trek that we all love so yeah yeah so all right so okay. we've got we've got I've got so many questions and we and okay. I, and I but I want to get to I, I'm sitting here trying to pick who which rabbit hole do I go down so I'm going to go <laughs> down we've had Steve Mitchell on here I don't know if you know Steve Mitchell he directed or he made he's one of the people that made the Larry Cohen documentary King Cohen yeah I, I was really shocked that I wasn't involved in that because so, Larry and I were good friends yeah, I noticed you have tons of yeah. You work with a ton of him his movies. So yeah. we had, we did Steve did two episodes with us, and I this is and we didn't know each other then. Now that we know each other, I will go back because he's supposed to come back and do a part three. Right. I, why? Yeah. What happened there? Because you, sir. I mean, I could go on for days. I mean, cue the stuff. Edgar Hoover. I mean, Full Moon God High. Told me to return to Salem's Lot. Yeah. You yeah, I mean, a lot. my name was in the credits over and over again, you know, and uh, right. <laughs> the first picture that, that Larry and I ever worked on together, the reason I got that was, you know, Rick Baker had done the It's Live movie mm-hmm. with him. 
and Rick was starting to get a little on the popular side and he didn't want to work with Larry on another picture. And <laughs> he said, well, I liked Larry. He had to, it was an acquired taste. He um, had a, he had a demonstrative personality, right? Yeah, he had his again, name. again, he just used to split my gut. Yeah. Funny son of a bitch, but Rick, Rick kind of like, okay, I'm done with that, but uh, I recommended you, Steve, and he's got this film, he just needs this little bit of work done in it, and, you know, and I said, well, thanks, Rick, because Rick really helped start, he's one of the people that really helped start my career, besides Fred Phillips. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked with Larry, and he was real happy, and then, you know, another picture came up, and he called me, and uh, he used to call me the famous Steve Neal. He did, up to the day he passed, and, you know, is this Steve Neal? So this is the famous Jerry Cohen. No, I want to talk to the famous Steve Neal. He was just this character, okay? Um, so I did all those pictures with him, you know? Yeah. And, uh, there's, was, I can't remember the last picture I did with him, but you named them all. <laughs> I named <laughs> most of them. I, you know, I, I, God told me to. Secret Files of J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah. Uh, the, the stuff. stuff. Uh, Return to Salem's Lot. Is Return to Salem's Lot the last one you did with him? That may be. It might have been, yeah. Yeah. In fact, he still had all the props and things in his closet the last time I went up and saw him, you know, about a few months before he passed. He gave me back some of the stuff. He kept everything. And uh, unfortunately, it's just rotting away. It's just so old. But um I, I had a good time working with him. I really did. He was he was hard to work with, but basically, um, like James Cameron, you do with hard ass directors is you just give them exactly what they're paying you to do. Yeah. And if they're unhappy with something, you fix it. You know, you just fix it. You just don't give them any crap. You know, and the thing I noticed uh, about low budget films or medium budget films, because Larry always had money. He always had plenty of money uh, on his productions. He always had the best everything, patterns and cameras, everything. Um, but you just work them. You know, if they get mad and they, they, they get a little bent out of shape, you just let it roll off. And what you would see is that people try butting heads with them. Now, when you go to films like Ghostbusters, mm -hmm. you got a guy like Ivan Reitman, yeah, who can be difficult to work with as well. Yeah, uh, but, but we don't see that as much. You don't see anybody give him, you know, any shit on the set. So, and I got along with Ivan fine, and he was another one that used to just crack me up, you know. In fact, one of my favorite moments at Ghostbusters, I'm in the arm of the chair, and I'm doing this to Sigourney over and over again, and he, he take they take their arm off the chair, and he says down to me, he says, Steve, Sigourney's got something to tell you and just listen to her. And she explained to me that she couldn't act being hit in the face by a creature hand like that as well as if I actually did it. And of course, mm -hmm. the hands were kind of dangerous because the claws and everything. I said, I'm going to make you black and blue if I do that. And Ivan leans over and goes, go ahead, Steve, do it. She likes it. <laughs> and everybody on the set cracked up and she cracked up. And so yeah, she was made black and blue. In fact, the next day, you know, because we spent several days shooting that whole sequence. Yeah. She was black and blue, but the makeup artist just, you know, made her up and everything was fine. So, um, but, uh, you know, I, I also directed a lot of the terror dog scenes because I was the master puppeteer and worked mm -hmm. with, so I had to be on stage with Ivan with the headset on talking to the puppeteers underneath the stage while he directed me upstage. And he was always cracking the jokes and stuff. Um, I had no problem with it. Again, you know, I, if, if he was unhappy with something, which never was in that picture, uh, you just fix it. And you just yeah. say, well, how can I make this better? You, you don't give him crap. There are a lot of emotional artists in this business uh, to this day. And it's like, no, there's no room for emotional artists in film production. You were hired to make this monster. If it doesn't look and work like the way the director wants it to, fix it. Yeah, because in the end, it's... Duff. Yeah, in don't the end, tell them. That's not what you said. They always say that. Yeah, that's not what you said. You said you wanted this, and they get in big arguments. It's like it's it's a waste of time. Just okay, you're unpleased. How can we fix this? I'll, I'll fix it. I'll go home. I'll work all night in the shop. Come back, make it better. And I had to do that several times in my career. And then 
they're so happy with you. Uh, and guess what? Next picture, they call you back. Yeah. So, so why is Ivan, you never hear those stories about Ivan, but Larry, you hear them. James Cameron, you hear them. Why did, why do you think people? <laughs> Betty just... Davis. Larry Collins, that horrible man. I mean, yeah. you know, I was there that night with Betty Davis, which was pretty amazing. And uh, were you really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I worked all the way through Full Moon, Full Moon, Full Moon High. Yeah. Um, and of course, I loved working with Ed McMahon. What a what a neat guy. <laughs> you know, that was a great thing about Larry is I got to work with some of the most amazing actors and talents in Hollywood, you can imagine, you know, people like Lloyd Nolan, Broderick Crawford, mm-hmm. Benny Davis. I mean, he Paul always got me. Yeah, Paul, Paul was, you know, when I worked on the stuff, Paul and I would just hang out in the honey wagon and just talk at length about everything for hours. Um, Cause we we're bored, you know, waiting to do our scenes. And, and, you know, I never heard of him before. I just thought, this is nice B actor, you know, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, nobody really knew who he was back then. I don't, I didn't, wasn't familiar with him and, and look what he went on to. And um, right. but he was the most approachable down to earth human being. I mean, he was just a really neat guy. So, and because of Larry, I got to to work with, with, with all those amazing people. You know, I never knew who he's going to have me make a life up mask of next. I mean, when he sent me, uh to Broderick Crawford you know I, I it was in it was in Hollywood somewhere and he was up in this uh, uh big apartment high rise you know I went in there and he was just the most charming pleasant human being he and his mm-hmm. wife just amazing and I, I just I couldn't even believe I was there because I was pretty young you know at yeah. that time it's like my god it's Broderick Crawford geez you know so I watched his tv shows all his movies everything and you know he was just so nonchalant about everything so i really appreciate that well talk a little bit about the betty davis incident well you know i mean i i was just there she was upstairs and and um the the straight makeup artist was working on her and i don't know larry and her got into some kind of argument and uh i didn't catch all of it i learned more about it after i saw her in that interview Mm-hmm. Uh, was that with Dick Cavett? I can't remember. Who Somebody it was. like that. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. She, would, she would. Yeah. And she was dead was, what, a few months later. It wasn't long. Yeah. She was just, I thought she was over the top because I worked with Larry enough by that point to realize, yeah, he could be cantankerous. But also, you know, people always take stuff so personally. Half the time he was kidding around. Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and if he did make a mad, you know, he would, he would forgive you pretty quickly. You know, he'd get over it. And we'd all be out to dinner and laugh and he'd be telling all these great stories about all these people he worked with. How it was like to work with Dick Smith because he did that uh, show. What was it? Um, the name of that show before Twilight Zone. Way Out. Way Out? And the, yeah, the, the, the episode he directed, Dick Smith did the makeup on, which was um, of the guy who was kind of like a Quasimodo. I need to see it. I haven't. <laughs> And he could, oh, it's, it's really scary and disturbing because yeah. he finds this bum and he's got this Quasimodo kind of face. He's really the ugliest man in the world. I want to make a makeup of you and, and, and paid him very little money, treated him poorly. And he goes on stage and he's a big hit. And when he comes back, he didn't take the makeup off. He can't get it off. Yeah. It's him. Yeah. Um, and so he would tell the stories about, yeah, I knew Jake Smith, you know, and because <laughs> Larry was a writer. Larry was a writer for he was a, a really time. good writer. Yeah, yeah. And I think the last thing he did that was really great was uh was uh, phone booth. Phone booth, yeah. Great film. I mean it really was. And, uh, um but he also had written another script for It's Alive, and I have it here somewhere. It was really good. I mean, it was better than any of the other ones. Of course, I worked on Island of the, the Alive too, mm-hmm. and I did the creatures for that. But uh, it was really great. But the other thing that Larry and I were seeing more and more getting together, having lunches and going to his house, and Mary got to know him and meet him uh, on several occasions. And um, we didn't know that he was sick. And uh, later on, I, I was told he was sick, but never to talk to him about it. 
it was terminal and all this stuff. And it's like, oh my God. And he's talking to me about um, doing this other, it's a live movie, but then it shifted to a script. He had the rights to do a movie version of the invaders. Now I loved the invaders during the sixties. That, that show just was, I loved it. And I just thought it was great. I loved the ship. I loved the, this and I love the, the ray guns and everything. It was really a lot of fun. It was serious, one of the few that were in those times. Um, and so we were working together on uh, developing um, that into a film. And had he lived, we would have worked and made the film together. Yeah. Uh, which would have been fantastic. But, you know, uh, I mean, two weeks before he passed, I'm on the phone with him and he's telling me about the latest version of the script. And, you know, do you really think we ought to have that same spaceship, that old thing from the sixties? You think it's really good? And I said, yeah, you don't want to change that. You know, you, you want that iconic saucer and everything. And um, so, well, so he was writing all along. There's that, writing, and, go ahead. He was writing every day. Yeah. Well, that must, but that had to keep him in good spirits though. Knowing. Oh, it did. I don't know if you saw those pictures of, of me and Larry standing together on his porch at the, mm -hmm. at the mansion. Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell if you look at it in the pictures there that there's something not right, you know, yet he was making the jokes and we just had the best time and went out to lunch and, you know, so right. yeah. I miss him. I miss him. He had the same phone number for over like 30 something years, <laughs> you know, it's still in my book. I, I do it by heart up till recently, you know, right. So, yeah. Okay, Chad. All right. I, 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 again, it's I'm like Joe. I'm like, where do we go? So I'm gonna I'm gonna skip. I want because uh, I am a big fan of this particular actor, and you're listed as working with him exclusively um, on Doctor Heckle and Mister Hype. Oh, Dollar oh, Reed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we we actually just did a we did a live uh, a live uh, show, and I actually brought up an interesting story of Oliver Reed and how how his drunken antics, you know, basically train wrecked the movie. <laughs> I was wondering, did you have any that movie? No, that, no, no, that, no. This this uh, it was Condor Man that I was that okay. I was I was covering. You know, he like okay, he was like yeah. he got drunk and actually threw his his suit into the river in Paris, uh, in, in outside of Paris, I think is where it was. And they had no money to buy a new suit. <laughs> and he knew that going in before he was just, you know, being Oliver. <laughs> so I just didn't know if you had any good stories of, of working with Oliver Reed. Oh yeah, I have some. I mean, the way I got that, the way I got that job was Rob Botin called me up one day and said, Hey Steve, I, I got this great gig for you. I, I can't do it. I don't think I can do this. And it's working with Oliver Reed and you're going to have to work with him very closely. And I think you're the perfect guy for it, you know, because Rob, <laughs> Rob, you know, Rob wasn't a party guy. He really wasn't. He was a really straight and clean kind of guy, as far as I know. And uh, he just thought from what he knew about me that I could stomach working with Oliver Reed. And so I took the job, I was intimidated by it. And, you know, the first time I met him was at, um, a rented apartment that he had over in uh, Beverly Hills uh, where we made the life mask. Rick Stratton came over and, and V came over too, because V would often uh, get involved just for fun to work with me. After we broke up, we remained really close friends. And so she came over because she wanted to meet him too. And a whole bunch of famous actors and actors, actresses came over all throughout the day i think half the cast of the poseidon adventure visited there huh. <laughs> you know and that was pretty amazing we made the life mask and uh we got along real well and but you know he he i i if you look at pictures of me back then there's a picture of me with him in the kitchen the day we did the life mask and he's got the ball cap on and there i am and i in, in my uh, with my gold chain hanging on and my long hair looking like some kind of rock star he's got his arm around me big shitty grin on his face uh, <laughs> it's on it's on my website somewhere yeah um in fact if you just type in steve neal and all Reed, it comes up and google i'm pretty sure um then you know i had to do all these prosthetics for him and test makeups and i i gotta say the guy was a total professional throughout that entire movie he never once gave me any trouble he was he was very very concerned about the makeup. He would always politely ask me to come over looking in the mirror and say, Steve, you think this is going to show? 
oh, oh God, thanks. I'll, I'll fix that. You know, he, so we work together very well. But the stories, uh, yeah, I was told that I'd have to start drinking with him at two in the afternoon. That he like <laughs> stole Shania in orange juice. So for the longest time, I would make up the drink and not put hardly any vodka in mine. But he got onto that one day when he grabbed it, smelled it, said, "Let me pour you a proper drink." <laughs> And you know, at two o'clock. Yeah, and we get we get a little slosh, not terrible, and because you know, I just tried not to have another one, and uh, and he didn't really either, you know. But you never know it. I mean, the guy just man, that camera rolled. He, he got his lines perfectly all the way through. Never once made a mistake. Never once screwed up the makeup, and it was elaborate. Eye contacts, teeth, mm. prosthetics. Uh, Mark Siegel worked with me on that and ran all the foam. He's the same guy who ran the foam for the Klingons. Um, and so there was a lot of hard work on that. But every night I tried to escape. And he'd always, you know, like on my, the night of my birthday, he grabbed me and said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to go home get some sleep. Said, no, you're not. It's your birthday. We're going to go out and paint the town red. And that's like, oh, God. So he dragged me and Karen Kubek, the makeup lady uh girl on the, of the town and i mean we ended up at the lamatage uh which is a very fancy restaurant at the lamatage uh, uh -huh. where he was staying he, he had moved to the penthouse of lamatage and we went to the restaurant there going up in the elevator i said they're never gonna let us in there i mean I, i'm still in my set clothes i've got makeup green and colors yeah. on me and he had it on his shirt and there's this guy in the uh, elevator and he's looking at him he's saying you're oliver reed and oliver, oliver said well yes i am who do i have the pleasure of meeting and the guy told him his name and they shook hands and uh, uh he's looking at the guy kind of funny i go what's he up to oh god i hope he's not going to start a fight or something you know and he said i need your shirt <laughs> Bought the guy's shirt off him on the spot and gave him his. And the guy runs out saying, I got a Wolverine shirt. It was just. He apparently must have had a thing with clothes. <laughs> yeah. So we, we got, we get up to the top and the guy standing outside the restaurant sees us coming and you can, oh, his head is almost shaking before we even got to him. And Reed uh, said, I'll take care of this. And he goes over there. Karen and I walk back and I could see the guy shaking his head, but he just kept pulling out another hundred and another hundred and another hundred. Reed was loaded. He had money, family money. He didn't need it from the industry. He oh, liked really? to work. Oh, yeah. He, he, that's what he told me. He liked to work because he liked to work. He liked doing the work. That's He was passionate about it. He didn't care about the money. Um, finally, the guy let us in. And, of course, they gave me a tie to put on and all that stuff. So we're sitting there, and he's buying me this big, expensive meal, and we're drinking port and then, I don't know, cognac and this and that. We're mixing, you know. I mean, it's like, uh, and I'm looking around. And he's kind of looking to see where I'm looking at. I said, is that Gene Hackman over there? <laughs> and Gene was looking at me kind of weird, you know, because we had met when I was working with Francis Ford Coppola in San Francisco on the conversation set. Uh -huh. We had lunch. So, he, you know, this guy looks familiar, you know. But he saw Reed and Reed said, that sure is. And he got up. You could just see this look of terror come over Hackman's face as he went over to his table and dragged him back to our table <laughs> to sit and have a drink. Uh, and poor Karen was so drunk, she passed out face down. We had to keep pulling her up. Anyway, I forget kind of what happened after that, except that he wanted to start a brawl in there with the guy at the bar because he liked <laughs> He likes to brawl. And I said, you, you can't do that here. Why not? I said, you're in America. The cops will come and put us in jail. They will? I said, yeah. They don't just tell you to go home and sleep it off. This isn't the UK, you know, when they're used to bra bra you know, brawling in the, in the pubs. Oh, okay. So we went up to his penthouse. And I'm up there in the penthouse. And he's trying to drink me out of the table. And, and he can't do it. And he says, he says, Steve, what are you? I said, well, I'm Irish and Russian. He says, that's it. It's the Russian. Because he was Russian too, half Russian. He says, I'll never be able to drink it on the table. I can't do it. And then he disappeared. And he, where did he go? And he comes back in. 
and he's showing me his hands and there's kind of these like marks in it from hanging on something. Well, he's hanging off the banister. This was like a scene out of my favorite year. Yes, that's <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah. what I was, I was thinking. Like, oh my God, yeah. I'm supposed to watch this guy. He's hanging off a banister, you know, several stories up. And when um, he comes back in and then he wants to show me some boxing. And so, uh, all right, fine, you know. And so, you know, he's throwing punches at me and I'm throwing them at him just, you know, casually. And then and he finally goes like that catches me right there knocks me flat to the floor and he goes from being like kind of tough i'm going to show you how to fight to oh god you know <laughs> are you all right and he gets down there and he gets down really close to me are you okay and i can get him oh i'm just you know knocked him back <laughs> like that and he just goes like this <laughs> i like you and uh, <laughs> so we went back on sat on the couch sat on the couch and we talked and talked and karen passed out so he went and got a blanket put it over karen and somehow I drove home, which I regret to this day because, you know, <laughs> I, I don't approve of drinking and driving, but I had to get home. I mean, I had to get all the makeup supplies and all the things. That... And I drove my little Italian sports car home and we were waking up the next day going, ah, ah, you know, and um, drove down very hungover to the set. And there was the honey wagon at four in the morning with the lights glowing out of it. And I walk in and he's sitting there all ready to go. <laughs> and he starts laughing at me and he goes I go what <laughs> look, I look in the mirror and I've got a black eye oh no <laughs> and we got to work and we did a four hour makeup job on him we went out to the set and we had a great day and that's what it was like working with Oliver Reed and the last night we were there uh, I was there uh, he had some of his mates from England and um, and we said our goodbyes and and because we got to be quite close. We, we hung out all the time together. Yeah. And that was it. You know, I didn't see him again after that. Just how the industry is. Yeah, it is. But, you know, it, it was really a memorable thing in my career. I was able to ask him what it was like uh, working on hammer pictures. And he just loved talking about it. He didn't mind at all. I talked about the eye contacts hurting and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, it was the same way with Christopher Lee when I worked with him, too. He had very fond memories of working on the Hammer films and his dear friend, Peter Cushing, yeah, you know, right. that was another, now, now see, I thank Charlie Band for that. I mean, I got to work with Christopher Lee, which to me was huge, make a life mask of him and do all that. So, well, you know, I know we've got to wrap up in a second and I apologize, but as we're, so the thing is we do this and then we do a lot of this convention work and a lot of these people are, are our heroes and we've been lucky to meet them and I'm, I do fairly well. There's only been a couple I can't imagine I would have to, when I interviewed George Romero, I had to kind of take a second by myself before I went on stage. Does that make sense? It's just, yeah. it was bigger than life to me. Yeah, I would have had the same, would you say? Right. That meeting I had with Gene Roddenberry and Robert Wise. Right. It's I know. A good thing I did, it's a good thing I didn't pass out. I mean, Robert Wise worked on Citizen Kane, much less if we just start talking about his, you know, the rest of it. Still, Drama Strain. I mean, right, yeah. Right, right. And, and Gene, who I already knew, but, you know, and but just, these are amazing giants. So I know what you mean. So Christopher Lee, how did you, how did you just, did you just take a second? What did you do to just prepare yourself? Do you even remember? Well, I had to go over to his apartment, High Rise in Beverly Hills. Uh, and when I got up there to- How bad uh, for you? Well, I'm just giving you a hard yeah. time. I was like, well, how bad for you? What, what was interesting is they had the door open. Yeah. Now, you know, there was security and everything, but once you were in there, you go up to where his apartment is and the door was open. It was hardly an apartment. It was a huge place, but it, whatever. I don't think we were calling them condos yet, or maybe we were, but yeah. I walked down this entryway into it, which was a library of books mm -hmm. for one thing. I remember all of these books. And you turn and he says, I'll be right with you, Steve. And he was in the back somewhere. And I go into the living room and Jesus, I'm on a hammer set here. I mean, it really looked like I, the furniture, everything looked like it was something right out of hammer. He says, have a seat. I'll be right with you. So I sit down and I'm not feeling terribly intimidated much, you know, yeah. and I'm sitting there uh, and out he comes. 
And of course, it was all carpeted. So like the films where he played Dracula, you couldn't hear his feet. <laughs> he just sort of floated across the carpet and bent down to me and introduced himself to me like Dracula, you know, <laughs> introduced himself to what's the, the Parker. It was just like, and he had that little widow's peak and he was wearing a tube uh, that day because they shaved his head for something and he, he said the hair never grew back. But you had to look really close to see it was a tube. Um, and so as I'm making the life mask, he's telling me all kinds of stories about Peter and he, I, he was really open to talking about Hammer films. Um, and then throughout the production, we sat and talked daily and everybody did because, you know, he has this charisma, everyone wanted to talk to him. And he loved singing opera, so he sang for us and it was a great experience. And, and this is the thing about working with people like Charlie Band and Larry Cohen and other directors, Jim Wynorski, people like that. Um, people are really great about putting these people down and they never really worked with them well or for very long or never really yeah. got to know them. But uh, at Roger Corman is another one. I mean, these guys gave me all the rope I wanted to hang myself with. Yeah. And so I didn't do that. Um, and they got they enabled me to be able to work with some truly great people um, that were on the tail end of the great Hollywood that I, I could have never imagined I'd ever meet or work with. And that was incredible. And so I'm internally grateful to all these people, Toby included, uh, for uh, the opportunity they gave me. You know, I, I you know, today, you know, new people getting into the field, uh, chances are they're you know, they're not going to have that. Joe Belasco was another person uh, who helped me when I first came to Hollywood. And the first thing I did was work with him making a nose cast on Martin Sheen. And what a nice guy he was, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, so right off the bat my, with my career, I was, you know, I went from being an intern at the Zoetrope and being friends with Francis Ford Coppola, who, you know, and to coming down here and working all these B pictures, which then eventually led to the A pictures. So it, yeah. it was... Uh, uh, it's not a day that doesn't go by that I'm not grateful to these people. Most of them are all gone now. Uh, everyone else is uh, not working anymore. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine uh, one day. I don't want to imagine not continuing on with this work, which is why I'm still running a studio so of my own and, and, and doing as much work as I can, even making my own films. So right. Mr. Neal, thank you so much. We could do another two hours. We didn't get to Francis. We didn't, Jay, uh, Chad wanted to talk about Fred Owen Ray, but we promised you an hour. Oh, Fred, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a deep space, was it? Yeah, deep space. Yeah, deep space, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can always have me come back. I would love two. for you to come yeah. back. In fact, I'm going to put you on record saying, are you okay if I reach out in the next couple of months? Yeah, Hopefully sure. we weren't That's too bad. All right. So before I really, I really appreciate you guys, and I really appreciate you um, caring about this stuff. You know, especially the, old, especially the old B pictures. You know, yeah, and we, we didn't talk you. about Fright Night either. But no, we didn't talk about Tom Holland, whom I've talked to over the phone, but we've never talked. No, I have, right. I have a whole page of stuff that I didn't even get to. But I also want to be considerate of your time, so we'd love to have you back. But before we go, would you please talk about your website really quick if people are interested? I mean, I didn't even get to talk to you about your rockets, but please talk oh, about your website. What about the airplanes I fly? Yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact, I'm in the latest issue of the Academy of Model Aeronautics, their magazine. Uh, let me, I'm going to, let's see, I need to put up another browser here for myself real quick here, because as long as I have this page, it's Steve Neal's. And it's all one word, Steve Niels. Uh-huh. And that's N-E-I-L-L-S. Yeah. Steve Niels dot art dot blog. And it's actually a it's actually a, a website. Uh, where'd you guys go? You're here somewhere. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> You've looked at us long enough, man. There's no reason to torture yourself. There are. Okay, I got it. I had a lot of windows up. And it's a lot of ugly to look at it all at once, bud. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, it's a website and it, it has a store on there where um, I've got all kinds of masks and things from famous TV shows like Outer Limits and Star Trek um, that no one's complained about so far me doing. I mean, Paramount's aware of what I do. They 
they have written to me before when I was building the big enterprise model, which yeah. I was really known for and said, you know, don't sell too many. We're okay. We really appreciate your work on Star Trek and your passion for Star Trek, but just cool it for now. And then you can sell some more later. I, I was blown away when I got that letter. I have it around here somewhere. Yeah. I was like, who, who writes and, 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 and tells you, you know, usually you get a cease and desist, you know, but, uh, They've been okay with me because I don't sell a lot of stuff and I'm just selling it to the fans. And mm-hmm. it's really not about the money. It's just, I like doing the work and I like the idea people are out there collecting it. And that's on that website as well. Plus pictures from my career, pictures of me with Larry Cohen and some of the people we've been talking about and Brad Dourif and who was also incredible to work with. I love Brad. Um, and there's links to other websites I have, including the rocketry website. Uh, I don't want to have one for model aviation uh um because i just have too many websites so but i'm a i'm a i'm a i'm a, I'm a, a crazy aerospace wing nut and i f- go flying every sunday and I, I just i live eat breathe and sleep it you know so always building a new one all right steve thank you so much we're gonna hit uh stop you and then we're gonna say goodbye to you as soon as i hit stop recording so this has been steve neal this has been bonehead thank you Grrrr. <sniffs>